Go ahead and use that QR code if you want to have the slides on your phone or device while we go through. Let's go ahead and get started. I'm going to pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for uh, this chance to gather and um, consider this important topic. Uh, Lord, you are a God who loves your creation, and you have created incredible human beings um, with so much capacity, including the capacity for the arts, um, through which we have benefited so much throughout the ages. Um, and so we pray that you would help us as we talk about this topic, uh, give us wisdom, and uh, give us grace, and uh, would you... Uh, Use this class to help us uh, become more like your son. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We are starting a new class, obviously, this week. This one is called Christianity in the Arts. And uh, if you thought you were coming to a Hogwarts class, I'm sorry you're going to be disappointed. It kind of sounds like a Hogwarts class, doesn't it? Christianity in the Arts. Um, Sorry, just I'm, I'm cheesy. That's just kind of what, what you're going to have to deal with. Um, and yes, I'm aware that for a class on art and creativity, we don't have a very creative title. Um, but hopefully we can still earn your trust that, that we have some things to share. Um, the other class is downstairs. As you'll see, there are two classes offered. Um, there's a class downstairs called the basic, or it's called How Then Should We Live? It's going through a, a video series by Sinclair Ferguson just on the basics of Christianity. Um, so I am not offended if any of you get up and leave right now because you realize you're in the wrong spot. Because um, I, I do want to make you all aware that we do have cl two classes going on and there's a great class offered downstairs as well. All right. Um, yes. Oh, man, you're right, Ken. I am so sorry, guys. I totally forgot to upload the new slides, so I just sent you in the wrong direction with that QR code, so disregard that. That is my bad. Thank you, Ken, for making that point. Um, uh, okay, this remote is not working. It's, it's on. But, uh, and it's like making a blue light. So, oh, I see. Here is the other side of it. <laughs> I will not throw it. Yeah, you'll lose it. All right. So the first thing we need to do in a class called Christianity in the Arts is to define what word. We need to define the arts. What do we mean by the arts? Um, so Zachary and I talked about this some. And um, we're going to... Um, Kind of define it in three ways. Um, the first, it was kind of three big categories of the arts. The first is the visual arts or the fine arts. So that's like paintings and sculpture or things like that. Um, the performing arts, plays, film, movie or TV, uh, music, and then um, literature, books and poems. So Throughout this class, we will be talking about um, all of those various forms of art um, to varying degrees. So that is, that is what we mean when we say the arts. Um, and that leads to an obvious question that I open up 
for discussion is why should Christians learn to appreciate art? Uh, or maybe another way to put it is why, why might it be worth our time to spend 12 weeks, if you didn't know that, this is a 12-week class, so um, get comfortable. We're going to be talking about this for a long time. But why spend 12 weeks talking about this topic of Christianity and the arts? Any thoughts? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm hmm. Okay. So, because of God's beauty, um, it's, it's worth thinking about beauty in general through the arts um, to help us reflect Him more. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Elizabeth. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Oliab and, oh, I'm forgetting the other guy's name, but that's the first time in the Bible that it is said that the Holy Spirit was given to someone. And it was in the context of art making, which is pretty cool. Yes, Suzanne. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yes, yeah, through, through, through art, absolutely. Yeah, we'll talk a lot about that as well. Yeah, Ray. Yeah, absolutely. Well, those are all great points. Let me add my, uh, a few of my own. I think one of the reasons is just has to do with our relationship with God. Um, Learning how to engage with the arts can actually help build our relationship with the Lord. Um, you know, think about the Bible is largely a piece of art. Uh, stories, um, poems, apocalyptic literature. Um, so if God is using art forms as one of the primary tools in which he's communicating truth about himself to us, I think the better we are at engaging art in general will actually help us engage the Bible um, in a better way. Uh, which is the primary way that we grow anyways. Um, and think about the lordship of Christ. So, you know, we at Redeemer believe that every aspect of our lives, we should think about what does it mean that Jesus is Lord of this part of my life? It's not just me going to church on Sunday and Bible study, different part of the week, but every part of our lives should, should reflect the idea that, that Christ, what does it mean to, uh, what, would it, what would be different about my engagement with this or that part of my life if I lived as if Jesus was Lord over this. And think about how many hours a week most of us spend engaging with the arts in one way or another. 
Um, maybe some of us too much, maybe some of us not enough. Um, but uh, this is a, a big part of our, all of our lives in, in one way or another, and so we need to be thinking about the intersection of, of, our, of the Lordship of Christ with this part of our life as well. Um, and uh, I think about general revelation. So, of course, special revelation is what God communicates to us through his word, but general revelation is, is ways that we can learn about God through nature. Um, through things outside of the Bible. Of course, we need the Bible mostly, but um, I think uh, an underappreciated aspect of general revelation is just humanity, ways that we can learn about God through humans. And, and one of the ways that the beauty of humans we see is just the, the things that humans make, especially in the arts. And so I think our engagement with the arts um, can, can, like many of you have said, point us to our Creator in various ways. And we'll talk more about that as we go. Um, it can help us experience scriptural truth, not just know it. Um, so I, I like this quote by an author named Addie P. God's desire for us is not only that we would simply know the truth of the gospel intellectually, but that we would also experience the beauty of the gospel intimately. Art has the power to draw our hearts and minds into this intimate experience in more ways than mere words. Songs, music, paintings, books, sculptures, movies, photography, and the like can make this intimate experience a reality. Good art ensures we experience the gospel without minimizing our understanding of the gospel. And as we'll talk about later on, um, this is obviously true through good Christian art, but there, all kinds of art can actually have this effect. Um, how, our relationship with God, another aspect of how art helps our relationship with God is that it builds our imagination. What do I mean? I've got to make sure I share what I mean by that. I'm not talking about imagination in the sense of just fairy tales and believing in fairy tales, though of course there is a place for fairy tales um, in, in art. I'm using the word imagination um, in kind of a larger, more human sense. Imagination is that distinct human capacity by which we image anything in our minds and, and everything that is not immediately visible to our eyes. So we need to be able to have skills to see beyond the seen. I mean, think of how much of the Christian life um, is dealing with the unseen. And there's a sense in which you could call that imagination that you, that you need to be able to see the unseen. Christianity is an enchanted reality, and ours is an increasingly disenchanted world. Uh, so I liked this quote by Dustin Messer. Art beckons us to look higher, to look deeper, to recognize the transcendent in items as ordinary as canvas and clay. So be it a piece of music, a painting, a sculpture, all art should lead our eyes beyond the immediate and to the infinite, beyond the creation itself to the creator himself. So I think about the sacraments. Um, I think the better, the more skilled we are at engaging with art in general, I think one of the many indirect effects is that it, it would potentially help us engage with the sacraments, which are one of the most important um, areas of the Christian life. It's one of the main ways that God increases our faith. It's a means of grace. Um, and the sacraments are an art form that we have in our worship service. Um, and so I think you know one of many indirect effects of, of Growing in our ability to engage the arts can actually be a, a deepened ability to appreciate and, and be fed by the, the sacraments. 
Um, another way it builds our relationship with God is it deepens our longings for heaven. Uh, Abraham Kuyper, he said, if you confess that the world ha- was once beautiful, which we do confess here, but by the curse has become undone, which we all experience daily, and by a final catastrophe, he was writing 100 years ago, uh, by a final catastrophe is to pass to its full state of glory, excelling even the beauty of the original creation before the fall, then art has the mystical task of reminding us in its production of the beauty that was lost and of anticipating its perfect coming luster. There's a sense in which good art can um, deepen our longings for the, the new creation yet to come. And of course, we'll talk more about that as we go on. Um, doesn't just help us with our relationship with um, God, though, but also with others. One way I think about this is that it builds our empathy. Um, literature or any art makes us feel more about things and feel about more things. I think many of the arts can actually build our emotional intelligence and, and, and increase um, our ability to, to, to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Um, very practically speaking, uh, learning how to engage the arts helps us love artists better. Oh, helps us love artists better. The more we know about how to engage arts, the more we can appreciate the gifts that God has given artists and that they are way more thoughtful than we often realize. That's something I have had to grow a ton in the last couple of years. I think about um, if you don't like football at all, but you were forced to sit down and watch a football game, how much more could you engage with it better if you were sitting next to someone who knew how to watch a football game? It could tell you, hey, this is why they're doing that, and maybe tell you the story of one of the players and why it's significant that they're you know, doing this and, and being this successful. You'll, you'll appreciate it more. You'll, you'll get more out of it. And so I think there's a sense in which it's helpful to stop and think through something like the arts. Um, and there, there's so much there uh, for us that if we know how to engage it better, we can get more out of it. Um, and also, good artists, they create their work in service to others. They're wanting to serve humanity. So we help them and we receive their service with appreciation. And then finally, it helps us engage uh, culture more wisely. Uh, Phil Riken in his book on the arts, he says, what is happening in the arts today is prophetic of what will happen in culture tomorrow. And some of you mentioned something like that already. All right, so the next question then is, um, what are some ways that Christians struggle in their engagement with the arts? So any, any thoughts? What are some ways that we struggle in our engagement with the arts? Absolutely. Any other thoughts?
Yeah. Yeah, so she's talking about how we can often unthoughtfully engage with the arts, unthoughtfully consume it, and it's, it's forming us in ways we don't realize, and, um, and that can have a negative effect. And so we need to have discernment. It's not just, you know, the extreme of just, you know, not engaging with it, but it's, it's having wisdom. Absolutely. These are good thoughts. Yes. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so you and Steve both are hitting on the second commandment of no graven images and, um, and, uh, and how there's, there is disagreement in the Christian community about what that means. And, and um, yeah, and we'll, we'll talk about that some for sure. Yeah, Ray. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, yeah, Daniel. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so you're talking about how, you know, uh, the fall has, has twisted all things, including art, and there are ways that art can really be damaging to humans and to society. Absolutely. Just a few of my own thoughts. One of the extremes is just that of struggling with it is ignoring it. We ignore it for many reasons. One I've already mentioned is just like of ignorance of its worth. Um, I'll talk a little bit more about this in a, in a bit, but the Romantic period at the beginning of the 1800s, um, the, the categories of arts and crafts used to be the same thing, but the Romantic period elevated arts above the crafts. And so art had a place in um, all of ordinary life before that. Um, and, and all people of society had, had, an, a, had a, a real appreciation for it. But in the Romantic period, the, the culture, it kind of became where art was more for the elites. Um, and we've, we've recovered a lot of that. But there's a, still a sense in which that affects us where um, we don't always understand or appreciate the arts as much because we kind of just view them as for just a certain part of society. Um, but then, of course, we ignore it sometimes out of fear of ways that it's been misused and we just don't want to engage it at all. 
Um, and then the other extreme, of course, is uncritically consume it, which is what Suzanne was, was talking about. Um, all right, so just a few housekeeping things. So this class is going to be team taught by me and Zachary Roberts. Zachary is right here. You, most of you probably know him. Uh, Zachary is a longtime member of Redeemer. He is um, husband to Shannon, uh, father of three amazing kids. He is a recently elected deacon at Redeemer. He is also the head of the fine arts at North Raleigh Christian Academy. Um, it's been said that artists need theologians, and theologians need artists. And so I'll be more on the theology end of things, a little bit more. He'll be a little more on the art side of things. We'll, there'll be plenty of overlap, um, but we're excited to, to come together and, and teach this together. Um, so he'll be teaching several of the classes, and I'll, I'll show you that in just a minute. Here's a couple of our objectives. Um, we want to, in this class, be able to articulate a theology of creativity. What does the Bible say about creativity, about art, about beauty, about storytelling? We want to help uh, each of us develop an imagination and appreciation for the formative nature of art, not just positively, but also negatively. Uh, we want to provide a, a framework for discernment with the arts, and we want to gain skills in how to get the most out of the arts. That's some of the things we're hoping to accomplish together. Um, what will that look like? Here's our class schedule. So part one is sort of foundations. We're going to, the first five weeks, just kind of lay some foundational things, talk more big picture. I'm going to talk about creativity today and beauty next week. Zachary's going to talk about story. We're going to talk about Christian and non-Christian art and this the reality of common grace and how much good we can get out of um, even non-Christian art um, and what does that mean and then how to judge and engage the arts and then we're just going to go into all the various categories that I mentioned earlier. So we're going to have a couple classes on uh, the performing arts, plays, and film, um, some on painting, some on um, literature, and then music. So that's where we are headed. Um, if there's anything that you're hoping would be covered in this class that doesn't maybe seem to be up there, I would love to hear from you. Um, if there's any questions you have or, or pressing aspects of Christianity and the arts that you want to be sure that we discuss in here, please let me know. Um, we are hoping that we are planning to have a movie night on April 21. That's a Friday night. Um, we haven't just picked our movie yet, but it, we just thought it could be fun for the people in this class as we've been talking about this a bunch. It'd be fun to just sit down and enjoy a, a piece of art together um, and talk about it. So um, we'll be doing that. Here's some of the books that I'll, I will be consulting as I'm teaching. Zachary will be using some of those. He's got his own list of books as well that he'll be drawing from. But the biggest one you need to know is called Echoes of Eden. Jerem Bars was a disciple of Francis Schaeffer who wrote this book, who has given a ton of thought to the arts, has really helped the church come back to a really wise engagement with the arts. And Jerem Bars takes some of Francis Schaeffer's thoughts, um, makes them more accessible, um, and gives some of his own thoughts. And So it's a really helpful book. Um, all right, so moving to our, our topic for the day, creativity. All right, so creativity, if you're going to talk about creativity from a biblical perspective, of course you have to start by talking about how we have a creative God, as Steve kind of kicked off our class with that thought. Um, and, and if you're going to talk about the creativity of God, of course, where do you start? You start with creation's beauty. So I think of Revelation 4, verse 11. Um, and uh, this is the, the, the elders who are seated around the throne um, at this point. 
Here's one of the things that they are saying in heaven. Worthy are, you, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you, what? For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And so we haven't even gotten to the point in Revelation where they're going to talk about the Lamb and, and how, how much the, the Lamb, how, how much Jesus Christ is being worshipped right now in heaven. And they're already enthralled. They're already full of worship over the simple, um, yet not so simple uh, fact of creation. Uh, there is still praise constantly in heaven over the wonder of God's creation, uh, which just gives you a, a sense of, of how beautiful creation is. You know, Psalm 19 is the most famous uh, part of the Bible that talks about it. C.S. Lewis, you've maybe heard before, he called Psalm 19 one of the greatest lyric poems ever written. I think that's very significant coming from C.S. Lewis. Um, and and you, you read it and you, you just never cease to be amazed of, of the, the, the way this psalm lifts up the beauty of creation. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. So um, just a, a beautiful testimony to the beauty of God's creation. Job 38 to 41 is another great place to go. Psalm 104, there's a lot of places in the Bible. Uh, and John Calvin, it's a crime that I can't share the whole extended quote with you, um, but he has this, uh, this part of his institutes where he kind of expounds upon a Psalm 19 and how much creation testifies to the reality of God, and he kind of ends it by saying... Um, Wherever you turn your eyes, there is no portion of the world, however minute, that does not exhibit at least some sparks of beauty. While it is impossible to contemplate the vast and beautiful fabric as it extends around without being overwhelmed by the immense weight of glory in all of the creation around us. So this one guy with this awesome French last name, Luzo, he, uh, he talked about four aspects of creation's beauty. The first is perfection. That's part of the, the beauty of God's creation. It's perfection. I mean, just look under a microscope at a leaf, at a human cell, at a snowflake, and then compare it to um, something that's man-made under a microscope. You can see all kinds of defects in man-made things under a microscope, but you can't of God's creation. Um, diversity of creation is another aspect of its beauty. It's, it's the variety, all the Millions of varieties of animals, of plants, of snowflakes, all the different kinds of sunrises and sunsets around the world. And then, of course, the epitome of this is humanity. How many billions of people have existed since the creation of the world? And each one is different and unique. Um, so the diversity of creation. And then the abundance, so meaning just the magnitude. Like think about the magnitude of the universe. There are over 60 billion galaxies that we can think of, uh, that, that, that they believe exist, and just the vastness of that. Um, and then finally, the inventiveness of creation. I mean, every part of creation is more creative than the most creative thing you've seen or uh, any human ever do. All right? So creation, of course, is, is the easy... Um, Aspect, but then the Bible is creative. I've already kind of talked about that. 
It's mostly an art form, story and song and poetry and apocalyptic literature. There's so many art forms used um, to communicate in the Bible. Um, so then that leads us then to being created in the image of God. And um, Dorothy Sayers, Christian author, she asks, you know, what does it mean that we're created in God's image? And uh, you know, it's a common question, and there's so much you can say. You know, is it, she asks, is it his immortal soul? Is it his rationality? Is it his self-consciousness, his free will? What is it that gives the, the humanity that claim of that startling distinction of being created in God's image? And, and all of those things are, are parts of being created in God's image. But she points out, just looking directly at Genesis 1, it's like verse 26, 27, 28, when it finally talks about humanity and being created in God's image. But there was 25 verses before that. And so if we are created in God's image, part of, I think, what it means to answer the question of what does it mean to be created in God's image is to look at what do we know about God from Genesis 1 verse 1 through 1 verse 25 before it talks about us being in his image. What, how does it describe God? Of course, it kind of indirectly describes him as sovereign. He's the one who can create, and we don't image that part of him because we are not sovereign. But, but what does it say about him? Um, the single assertion that you can come up with of, of what it says about God is that God created. Verses 1 through, through 25 of Genesis 1, the, the main thing we see about God is that he is a creating God. He is, he's a God who makes. So Dorothy Sayers, she says, the characteristic common to God and, and humanity is apparently that, the desire and the ability to make things. So she says that has to be part of our definition of what it means to be created in the image of God is to have the desire and the ability to make things. Um, so I think there's a sense in which, as being created in God's image, that we all are artists to a degree. I think about how we all need to have, we all need to be mathematicians to some degree. We all need to be leaders to some degree. We all need to be cooks to some degree. There are, only, you know, there are definitely those who, are, who do those things professionally, but we are all created, we are all meant to be and called to be creative in some way. Um, I think about this in, um, in Genesis 1 where it says, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. Um, you know, creation was really good, really good. It, it emphasizes that again and again, but what else was creation? It was incomplete. There was infinite, undeveloped potential built into this world that God wanted hu humans to then bring about. Um, that's, that's what is meant by that word subdue. Um, that can be kind of have, that word can have kind of a negative connotation when we, the way we use it today. It's just this like, you know, push it into submission. Um, but that's not what it means. The, the idea of subduing the earth means making the earth's resources beneficial for humanity and for this world, which implies that we would investigate and develop the earth's resources to make them useful for human beings generally. What does that mean? That, that takes creativity to do that. This command to subdue, it, it provides a foundation for wise scientific and technological development. Again, that's creativity to do that. You know, and, and it's also what God had been doing days one through six. He had been filling and subduing the formless world. And in calling us to fill the earth and subdue it, he's calling us to do what he had already been doing. 
And of course, evil uses the evil uses to which people have put their dominion. They come as a result of the next cha- uh, the next two chapters later in Genesis three. So we don't leave the world as it is. Like you think of like a park ranger; their job is to keep a you know a national park the way it is, uh, for the most part. And there's a sense in which parts of creation we are to keep them the way they are. But but the better analogy is a gardener. We are called to be gardeners of this world to to bring about its potential. One person said we need to rearrange the raw material of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular thrive and flourish. So when you think about someone working maybe at um, McDonald's, figuring out a better way to to go about you know, the Happy Meal assembly line or a better way to relate to customers, they're being creative in that moment. You think about a city councilman figuring out a better way to run a particular municipality. That's that's creative work. Think of the parent and the thinking through unique ways to relate to one of their particular children. That is creative work. We are all in the creative business to some degree. I also think about, in, in light of that, James, which we're studying in the sermon series, one of the famous passages, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And that word, doers of the word, where it's calling us to take God's word and apply it to our lives and live it out in the real world. Um, That comes from the Greek word poesis or poeo, which what English word do you see in there? You see poem, right? The Greek word poeo or poesis, it it can be rendered um, to make, you know, like God creating and making, or it can can be um, translated do. And I don't want to, I don't want to over, you know, uh, translate this word. I, I, you know, words mean different things in different contexts. So in this context in James, it de- definitely has more of the do sense to it. But, but I love the idea that it's from that word poesis, which in the background has this sense of making. Um, and, and there's a sense in which we are helping God bring about the new creation um, when we are doing his word. All right, so that's kind of called to image God in general for all humanity, but this idea of that should also impact how we view professional artists and, and, and art. Sometimes we can think too lowly of artists or the arts or too highly, um, but how much originality should we ascribe to them? Um, and Shakespeare is always a great place to start. Shakespeare, it was said of him that after God, uh, Shakespeare created the most. Yet Shakespeare, listen to how Shakespeare, what he said about himself. He said all he was doing in his work was holding a mirror up to creation. Uh, Shakespeare, who was a believer, and Zachary's going to talk more about him as we go on, um, you know, he he viewed the work that he did as simply imitating God uh, in, in the best way he could. And so the language we'll use for how to view the artist, and this is from um, Jerem Barz's book, Echoes of Eden, is artists as imitators. It's, it's the imitation of God. That's what art truly is. And he um, gets this idea from C.S. Lewis. Um, and again, it's, it's, it's a tragedy that I can't share the whole long quote with you, but I'm, but I'm sure you're okay with that. Um, but see, there's this quote that he gives of C.S. Lewis where he talks about this, this reality that in the art world, the, the two, two main words that are used to... Um, describe the best artists are what? It's, it's if they're original, right? Or, or if they're creative. And of course, those are words we want to use. But C.S. Lewis wants us to qualify those words. 
Um, and he's, he's thinking, of course, very biblically here. And he, he shares a number of passages, especially in the New Testament, of, of how we are um, new creations in Christ. And, and, and C.S. Lewis, he points out that thinking of oneself as original, and this is a little bit of what Daniel was saying earlier, thinking of ourself as original and as a creator is very close to summing up the reality of the fall, where humans turn from what is better and greater of, of God, and they turn to themselves what is lesser. And Lewis applies this biblical insight to the work of the artists. And he says, applying this principle of how, you know, we are not original, we are not creators, capital C, applying this principle to literature or any art in its greatest generality, we should get as the basis of all art criticism the maxim that an author or any artist should never conceive of himself as bringing into existence beauty or wisdom that did not exist before, but simply and solely as trying to embody in terms of his own art some reflection of eternal beauty and wisdom. So artists and art at its best, that is what it is trying to do. So Christian understanding of the arts, it starts with the creativity of God in whose image we are made. Then it leads us to assert that our work in any field of the arts will be imitative, thinking God's thoughts after him. Um, Jerem Barris, he says, painting with his colors, speaking with his gift of language, exploring and expressing his sounds and harmonies, working with his creation in all its glory, diversity, and inbuilt inventiveness. So of course we will use the words original and creative, but in a qualified sense. As long as we understand that we do not mean an absolute sense, um, C.S. Lewis's favorite word was fa- favorite word for describing the arts is sub-creation. Like he calls J.R.R. Tolkien's uh, Middle Earth and Lord of the Rings that's sub-creation. Even though, you know, Tolkien spent most of his life developing and nuancing Middle Earth, that was he he was still borrowing from the Creator um, in so much of what he did. And, and this way of thinking about art and artists is in opposition to a common way to think about art since the Romantic period in, in the early 1800s. Um, so art is not mere self-expression. Um, oftentimes in our society, art is, is the, opposition of, the opposite of imitation. It's this idea of putting the artist in the center, um, that the artist is the one who sees the very core of reality has a special sense that gives them a higher understanding of and deeper insight into the human condition. Um, But Jaron Bars, he says, the more inward and purely self-expressive art becomes, the more inaccessible it is to others. For artistic communication to occur, art cannot be simply an expression of the inward self. True art must have some contact with life, with reality, with other people who exist alongside the artist. Any, any uh, thoughts or comments? I pause for comment or question. There was a lot that I just went through. Zachary, anything you would want to add to, to any of that? Uh, yeah, I think just um, this idea of originality that we talked about and the idea yeah. of imitation and what that means. And um, self-expression is a relatively new idea in art, like you said, it kind of um, comes around the turn of the 1800s with the Romantic period. Um, 
but one of an artist that you might be familiar with that um, kind of kind of says the ultimate epitome about self-expression is Oscar Wilde, right? And if you know anything about Oscar Wilde, he has a very interesting uh, life story. But he says this, which I think is kind of the epitome of the way that we think about art sometimes today. He says, the best art is about individualism, free expression and realizing a unique imaginative perspective. A true artist takes no notice whatsoever of the public, which is false. And even it's false by his own standards, right? The public to him are non-existent, which is just silly because he's a playwright. Right, so without without the audience, right, without his audience there to interact with his art, he has no art, right? Yeah. Um, but he's a really he's one of those thinkers that really thinks that that very much has this idea of, of originality and and the fact that we are creating individual works of art. So just interesting to think about about him and if you know anything about his life, he's very interesting character. Um, and has written some great plays and some interesting books and that sort of thing. But I just thought that was kind of the epitome of this idea that yeah. we are self-expressing ourselves, which to some extent, yes, there is that. It, it happens, right? But like um, Barr said, the idea that, you know, the more it's just about myself, the less it becomes relevant to the audience. Yeah. Right? Yep. I appreciate that, Zachary. It's helpful. Any other? Yes. Wayne. Yeah. Yeah, so you're talking about the, the definition of, of create, creation as ex nihilo, um, out of nothing. And that is a, you know, a common way to, to refer to that word. I, I think there are some contexts where it, it can mean taking existing things and making something beautiful out of them. And so if that's what you mean, I think we can use the word creation. But, uh, it, you know, of course, if, if, if we're going to um, use that word in its fullest sense, Yes, we, we cannot create, but um, there are, I think there are ways you can use the word um, creation um, to not mean ex nihilo. Um, so, yeah, thank you for that, Wayne. Any other thoughts? Yeah, Kurt. Discover, yeah.
Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. All right, we got to wrap up. Father, thanks for this chance to start this class. Uh, we need your help, Lord, as we go through it, um, that you would uh, keep us uh, anchored in your word, um, but also would you help us um, be able to engage with your world in a more profound and meaningful way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.